So we are in this new season thinking about what it means to move forward with God from carefree to committed. And uh, I, I wanted to begin this particular Sunday thinking about why commitment is such a scary word. And so I, I came across an old clip from a TV show some of you might have seen once before, and it, it captures a little bit of some of the fear related to commitment, and we're going to play that for you. What's the deal? Why don't you want to see Janice? Okay, last night at dinner, when the meals came, she put half her chicken piccata on my plate, and then she took all my tomatoes. <laughs> That's bad because you hate chicken piccata? No. You didn't want to share your tomatoes. Tomatoes are very important to you. No, it's like all of a sudden we were this couple, okay? And this alarm started going off in my head, you know? Run for your life! Get out of the building! Ugh, men are unbelievable. Janice just thought she was giving you chicken. She didn't think she was giving you scary chicken. What is it with you people? I mean, the minute you start to feel something, you have to run away? I know, that... That's why I don't want to go tonight. I'm afraid I'm going to say something stupid. Oh, you mean like that guy thing where you act all mean and distant until you get us to break up with you. Mm -hmm. Hey, you know about that? <laughs> Look, what do I do? I want to get past this. I don't want to be afraid of the commitment thing. I want to go through the tunnel to the other side. Where there's no fear of commitment. Do we have any thoughts here? But it, it seems to me it's pretty much like anything else, you know? Face your fear. You have a fear of heights? You go to the top of the building. You're afraid of bugs. Get a bug. <laughs> in this case, you have a fear of commitment. So I say, you go in there and you be the most committed guy there ever was. Amazingly, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. You think? Oh yeah, go for it, man. Jump off the high dive. Stare down the barrel of the gun. Pee into the wind. Okay, I don't think we can say pee into the wind in church, so um, we'll edit that out on the recording later, hopefully. Um, so I, I really love this um, idea of, of sort of the fear of commitment that, that drives us in, I think, both major and minor ways, right? So for, for Chandler, his fear of commitment is, is romantic-related, right? The, the next step in a relationship with a girl, with a woman. But that fear of commitment shows up for us in all kinds of places, right? In, in big ways, like a commitment to God, right? And in small ways, like when somebody says, hey, do you want to come over for dinner? And you say, well, maybe, because I don't want to commit, because what if a better offer comes along later, right? Uh, and, and so um, I, I thought a little bit this week about what that, that fear of commitment really looks like and means and how we kind of move forward from it. And, and it seems to me that there are at least three big components to that fear of commitment. I want to go through them really fast. Uh, and the first one um, is options. And I think if you're, if you're anything like me, you like to keep your options open, right? So once I make a commitment, all the other things that I might do go away, right? Geez, again, big things. I'm not sure I want to commit to this career path because look at all the things I could be and I, and I lose all those options if I pick this one thing, right? Um, again, could be something small, right? Do you want to come over for dinner? Well, maybe I'll get a better offer. Uh, so options is one. Another thing I think that, that relates to our fear of commitment is circumstances. Oh, and I have a fear of spelling, sir. 
Um, this is like a commitment right here, stance, because you're going to know if I can spell this word or not. Okay. Um, circumstances. So, yeah, you know, I, I know that right now I really like you, but who knows what I'll feel like next week or next month or next year. So to make a commitment when the circumstances can change seems pretty crazy, right? Uh, and then the, the, the last one for me, uh, the last component of our fear of commitment is control. And I love control. I love being in control. And I do not like giving up control to other people, right? And so as soon as I've made a commitment, I've lost some autonomy, right? I am now stuck in whatever commitment I have made, um, whether it's, again, a commitment to a job or to a church or in any way, uh, I lose up some of my autonomy. So I, I thought about this and I thought, boy, if, if those are at least three of the core components of our fear of commitment, then there is one person in all of existence who absolutely, positively, without a doubt, should never make any kind of commitment. And that person is God. Think about it for a minute, right? If you're God, it's not just that you think there might be other options that come along that are better. You know for certain there will be. I mean, he's making a covenant with Abraham here, and he knows for certain that there will be more faithful people that will come later than Abraham, right? Abraham is not the pinnacle of faithfulness in humanity, and so he knows they'll have better options, better people he could pick from. Uh, You don't talk about circumstances. God knows for certain that the circumstances of this covenant with Abram and Abram's descendants will change. He knows, for example, that 400 years later, as he just described, after he rescues Abram's descendants from slavery in Egypt, he's going to take them into the desert, and they're going to say, yeah, we really like you, but actually, you know what? We're going to worship this golden calf instead, right? And, and God's going to have that experience again and again and again of his people cheating on him with other gods, And so he knows the circumstances are going to change. And and talk about control. God has absolute control. I mean, he literally can control anything he wants to control in in all of creation unless he chooses to give that up. If you had supreme control, would you say, hey, you know what I'll do today? I'm going to give up some of my autonomy. But that's what God does, right? He says, I'm going to make some promises to you, and those promises are going to limit me in the future. And in fact, there's a a moment in Exodus 33, right after that golden calf incident, where Moses is on the mountain, Mount Sinai, and God says, hey, Moses, those morons that I just rescued from Egypt are worshiping a, a statue of a cow, and so I'm going to wipe them out, and I'm going to start over with you, and you're going to be the new Abram. And Moses says, whoa, 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 remember your promise. And God says, oh, yeah, and he changes his mind, right? He, he's limited by his own choices, by his own commitment, by his own covenant. So um, I think this is a fascinating idea um, that if there was one person who ought to be afraid of commitment, it's God, right? And yet he isn't, and, and yet In fact, we get to know God most profoundly through the incredible commitments that he makes. In fact, we have divided our entire Bible into two commitments, right? The old commitment, the old covenant, and the new commitment, the new covenant. In fact, we name God by the names of the people he has made commitments to, right? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
And so what is it that he gets that we don't about this idea of commitment and promise and covenant? Well, I think it's something really quite simple. I think God recognizes that being carefree isn't the same thing as being free. Being carefree isn't the same thing as being free. In fact, um, when I am always seeking my options uh, that I want to keep open and the circumstances I'm afraid will change and the control I want to maintain, I'm actually not living in freedom. I'm living in a kind of bondage, right? I'm living in in this self-enforced slavery. The Bible calls it slavery to sin, Um, but I would say it's it's simply a recognition that my selfish desire keeps me from the life God wants from me, Um, that having options doesn't make me more free. Roger Olson uh, illustrates this with, a, with an old story about a train. He says, basically, uh, a, a train um, is most free when it's on the tracks. Right? When a train jumps its tracks, it, it's no longer constrained by the rails, but it's also no longer useful for anything, right? It can't move anywhere. It's just a free wreck on the side of the road. And in the same way, um, we are most free in those confines, in those commitments and those covenants that God um, and makes with us. We often come back to the story in Genesis in the first couple of chapters where we hear about Adam and Eve and then uh, in chapter 3 when they make that calamitous mistake to eat from the one tree of the knowledge of good and evil that God told them not to eat from. And we in our sort of Western uh, civilization, uh, free, autonomous, individual mindset, look at that and say, What? Why would God put that tree there, right? Why why would you say they can't eat from that one tree? Just don't put it there. How is that freedom? But then we read the rest of the story, right? And we look back and we say, when were Adam and Eve more free? Were they more free in paradise when they could eat from every tree except for one? Or are they more free after they've left the garden, right? Where they're free to roam the earth and scrounge for food. This idea of of, um, commitments being connected to freedom is really essential for us, I think, in our our personal lives, in our spiritual lives, and in our life as a a society together. Um, And and I want to suggest that the opposite, that being carefree uh, doesn't make us free, it makes us uncaring. And, And so God evidences again and again His freedom and His caring by the covenants he makes with us. So we, we come back to the story of Abram in this 15th chapter, and it's a really interesting story. Maybe you uh, knew this already, but um, there's this weird moment where Abram says, hey God, how do I know I'm going to get the land? But to, just in terms of context, Abram believes God about the son that's going to be born to him, even though that's miraculous. But it's going to happen in his lifetime. One day Abram's going to see Sarah have a child. But Abram knows that God is saying, this land I'm going to give you is not going to happen in your lifetime. It's going to be hundreds of years later, right? So Abram understandably says, well, how will I ever know about that? Because I'll be dead long before that happens. And so God says, um, get some animals, right? And you notice he gets a, a heifer and he gets a female goat and a male goat and he cuts them in half. And... 
then, uh, sorry, a, a, a female goat and a, and a male, uh, yeah, ram, a male goat, whatever. Uh, and he cuts them in half and he lays them across from each other. So just imagine, you know, you got half a cow over there and half a cow over here and half a ram over there and half a ram over here. And, and then um, he has this dream and there's a fire pot and a flaming torch as a vision or a dream, a waking dream, where they pass between those cut in half pieces of animals. And as they do, God makes this promise, I will give this land to your ancestors. It's really an interesting moment. So a couple of things you have to understand for that to make some sense. The first is that in the Bible, they never make covenants. Uh, in the Old Testament, they always cut covenants. Right? So the Hebrew, where it says, in our English translation, it says God made a covenant. The Hebrew says God cut a covenant. Uh, and the implication is that you know, the cut animals are the warning for those who would violate the agreement being made. And normally, both persons would walk through between those animals and basically saying, if I break this agreement, may I be like this heifer or this ram or this goat. In this moment, for the first time in Abram's life, God shows up, not just an audible voice, but a visible sign, and he shows up for the purpose of passing between those animals, right? Between these cut-in-half pieces to cut a covenant, to say, I am so committed to you that may this happen to me if I am unfaithful to you. Think about that for a minute because that's pretty incredible, right? That, that God loves us so much, so committed to us is He, that He says, not only will I make this promise to you, but I'll tell you what's going to happen if I ever break it. I'll tell you what lengths I will go to to avoid breaking it. Before I will break this covenant, I will be broken myself. When we think about what makes our God great, it's not that he's the most powerful being in existence, though of course he is. And it's not that he's the smartest or wisest being in existence, though of course he is. It's this unbelievable capacity for commitment and compassion and grace and love that we learn through these promises he makes to us. That's what makes our God great, uh, that our God loves us enough to make these extraordinary commitments. And we cannot reflect on God without thinking about His promises. They are the way we know Him and the most important thing we know about Him. So jump ahead a moment. Um, we're going to go to the Gospel of Matthew. And we get to this, this scene at Caesarea Philippi after Jesus has been correctly identified by Simon Peter as the Messiah. And Jesus begins to talk about what it means to be Messiah. Uh, and he talks about the fact that he's going to undergo great suffering and be killed and on the third day be raised. Uh, and we get this moment where Peter rebukes him, says, no, no, not you, Jesus. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. A.B. Bruce says, Jesus recognizes here his old enemy in a new and even more dangerous form, for none are more formidable instruments of temptation than well-meaning friends who care more for our comfort than for our character. Ooh, I really like that. Um, 
That's just free. That doesn't even relate to our thing. I just thought it was too good. Uh, Peter comes to Jesus and says, whoa, 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 Jesus, don't you want to keep your options open? Are you sure you want to commit to this dying thing? Don't you want to think about the circumstances? I'm sure we can find a way around you getting on a cross. Don't you want to maintain control? We want to see you reign over Jerusalem and Judea and the ends of the earth. We don't want to see you die. And Jesus says, yeah, all of that stuff, that fear of the commitment I'm trying to make, that's what Satan is trying to impose upon me. And I got to get that behind me because God's called me to a different level of commitment. God's called me to quite literally lay down my life that Jesus has already decided that he will be true to the commitments he has made and that when there is no other way, the one who made a covenant with Abraham will see it through. The God who promised that he would be cut will be cut. The God who promised he would be broken will be broken. And then after Jesus tells us who he is, right, um, the depth of his love and grace and commitment and promise for us, then he invites us to be part of something similar. And Jesus told his disciples, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. Right? Uh, again, Jesus says, I know what you're afraid of. Right? I know what you're afraid of. But let me tell you, I'm inviting you into something different, right? That's not ruled by fear. That's not about uh, a selfish, carefree life, but a life of covenant and commitment that will call you to risk and to pay and to lose and to give up, but will help you gain the world, will help you gain life itself. And Jesus says, um, I am calling you to join me, right? And move from this fear, uh, to faith, to move from carefree to committed. That's what moving forward with God looks like. So I've been thinking about that idea of, of moving from, from fear to faith or from carefree to committed, um, both as it affects us as individuals, but also as it affects us as a people. Um, we're in um, a, a little contentious political season, you might have noticed. And um, so whenever um, I get sort of down about the, the conflicts in our nation today. I go back to um, American history and think about how much more dramatic the conflicts were um, before than they are now. And, and I, I got a great book from a friend a little while ago on James Madison that I've really been enjoying. And uh, Madison, of course, is known as the father of the Constitution. Um, but there's a, there's a season in, in American life where he becomes, uh, well, continues to be a particularly central figure. So after the Revolutionary War, you know, we've, we've defeated the British and we've got our independence and we, we wrote something you probably remember called the Articles of Confederation, right? And the Articles of Confederation were the governmental system we created that basically took 13 independent nations, independent states, and created this loose agreement between them. And it was a, I mean, excuse me, but it was just a disaster, right? And, and I think everybody recognized it was a disaster. And it was a disaster in every way a government can be bad. Now, it was a disaster because when we couldn't even pay the soldiers that had just won the war for our freedom because the government had no ability to, to levy taxes or, or raise money and the states wouldn't do it individually. 
It was a disaster because one state would tax another state. So if you were leaving, you know, uh, Maryland and coming into Virginia, you had to pay taxes on everything you brought in and everything you took out. It was a disaster because they were trying to print money and the money was worthless and they made laws requiring you to take the worthless money and every state had their own money. It was just a hot mess. And and so um, Washington, writing to James Madison, is talking about this and he says, "No, this is George Washington, no morn ever dawned more favorable than ours did and no day was ever more clouded than the present. The country appeared fast verging to anarchy and confusion. What stronger evidence can be given of the want of energy in our government than these disorders, he asked? Will not the wise and good strive hard to avert this evil? What Washington recognized and and all the great leaders of our nation recognized is that in, in creating this government, where all these states were independent, um, we had tried to preserve our options as a nation, right? We don't want to make Virginia do stuff that, that it doesn't want to do just because Pennsylvania wants to. And, and we try to recognize our circumstances might change. What if we have a central government and, and that we get a new king and he takes over? And we wanted to maintain control, right? Uh, we want to keep our little fiefdoms. And that fear kept us from who we were called to be. So James Madison writes, the crisis has arrived at which the good people of America are to decide the solemn question whether they will by wise and magnanimous efforts reap the just fruits of that independence which they have so gloriously acquired or whether they will renounce the auspicious blessings prepared for them by the revolution. The United States must become as happy in peace as they have been glorious in war. In a nutshell, Uh, Madison and Washington call the nation to recognize that our desire to maintain our little bits of control uh, have relegated us to a system of almost anarchy where freedom is lost because uh, we've tried to preserve it in the wrong way. I think this is a challenge not just for us as a people but us as individuals. It's so easy for us to say, yeah, God, it's great that you make these commitments to us, but we're not ready to commit to you. We're not ready to commit in our lives to other people. We're not ready to commit to a course of action or a career or um, a person that you've placed in our life. Uh, and, And yet, again, God calls us to move. He calls us to move forward. Uh, I came across a great story about uh, Luciano Pavarotti. Pavarotti, one of the great opera singers of all time. And um, Pavarotti grew up in, in Italy, of course. And he tells a story about when he was a child. Um, and he says, when I was a boy, my father, a baker, introduced me to the wonders of song. And he began taking lessons as a boy from a, a, a musical expert in his town to learn to sing. At the same time, he enrolled in school and ultimately in college to be a teacher And after he graduated from teacher's college, he came to his father and he asked for his advice. He said, shall I be a teacher or a singer? Luciano, my father replied, if you try to sit on two chairs, you will fall between them. For life, you must choose one chair. He says, I chose one. It took seven years of study and frustration before I made my first professional appearance. It took another seven to reach the Metropolitan Opera. And now I think whether it's laying bricks, writing a book, 
Whatever we choose, we should give ourselves to it. Commitment, that's the key. Choose one chair. I think this is God's call to us today, right? To follow in the footsteps of a God of covenant and promise and commitment. To choose if we will live a life of self-indulgence or a life of self-sacrifice. To choose if we'll seek a freedom that's rooted in fear or a freedom that's rooted in decision and commitment and faithfulness. To decide if we will seek to save our lives or to lose them for the sake of the one who gave up everything for us. See, we know uh, that God is the maker of promises and covenants. And all the fear in the world cannot keep him from being who he has committed to be. And to move forward with him, we have to be a people who are willing to stand and commit and move forward uh, in a life of covenant with the God who is the maker and keeper of promises. So today, Jesus calls you to choose one chair. Uh, And every aspect of your life, he calls you to consider what it might mean to choose one chair and move forward with him. Thanks be to God. Amen.